Welcome, my flourishing friends, to episode number seven. In today's episode, we are going to talk about the middle path to happiness. So to get into that, first of all, we're going to talk a little bit about happiness and overall well-being and how that has been measured traditionally and some novel approaches to measuring it. And then we're going to dive into this concept of the middle path. What is it? Where does it come from? And then how can we see it in our outer as well as our inner lives? All right, let's dive in. I'm Christina Hunter, and you are listening to the Live Well Green podcast, all about sustainable well-being and green living. We explore how to do what is good for the planet and for ourselves in order to truly flourish. Well, let's start off with thinking about what is happiness? Well, there are lots of ways to define happiness, and we know that we often will think about something like joy or cheerfulness or pleasure when we think about the word happiness. But there are also definitions of happiness that include things like contentment and satisfaction. So if we build on that broader definition of happiness that includes all of those things, we can think about the contentment aspect. And when we look that up in the dictionary, the Oxford Online Dictionary calls contentment to be in a state of peaceful happiness, and it relates to satisfaction and well-being. So really, I think that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I probably should have called this the middle path to contentment, but I didn't think it had such a nice ring to it. So we do want to keep those aspects of happiness that include joy and abundance and exuberance, but we need to understand also that what is lasting is probably related more to the underlying contentment, satisfaction, and peace parts of happiness. All right, so that's where we'll start with happiness. We know we've been wanting to assess and measure happiness and overall general wellness of people for a long time. This concept arose as early as the 1600s to start thinking about wellness of a population as associated with their economic status. But that was really developed in the U.S. in the 1930s, where the idea was brought forward to create a concept of measurement of overall economic well-being. And that's, of course, called the GDP, or the gross domestic product. And that has been defined by the International Monetary Fund as being something that measures the monetary value of final goods and services that are bought by the final user, produced in a country over a given period of time, say a quarter or a year. So that's what we think about when we talk about DP. So this means it's all the market values of all the goods and services within a geographic location of production. And it includes everything produced 
in that region, including the cost of health care. And it would also include the costs associated with an oil spill, for example, where we would actually count spilled oil twice, once in that the oil was produced and there was value associated with that. And then when it was cleaned up, it would also add value again. So as you can see here, it can be conflicting to understand what all goes into that gross domestic product. But sometimes it has been used as a proxy measure for standard of living, even though we understand that standard of living includes a variety of factors, not just economic. It also includes social and personal factors. But this was recognized right from the beginning. The person who brought this concept forward of GDP, Simon Kuznets, he brought it forward in the U.S. Congress in 1934. And in his first report on the GDP to Congress in 1934, he talks about some of the shortfalls of using GDP as an indicator of standard of living and overall wellness. So I'll just read you a quick quote from that speech. He says, The welfare of a nation can scarcely be inferred from a measure of national income. If the GDP is up, why is America down? Distinctions must be kept in mind between quantity and quality of growth, between costs and returns, and between the short and long run. Goals for more growth should specify more growth of what and for what. So clearly, from the very beginning, we knew that there were some limitations to this style of measurement of well-being. So it is still very linked to overall well-being and so on. We know that there are, however, a number of inconsistencies with this. The World Bank annually measures gross domestic product of a nation versus the reported self-reported life satisfaction in those countries. And it's got a very good general link and connection and correlation, but there are a number of interesting inconsistencies. For example, if you compare Singapore and Costa Rica, we see that Singapore has a much, much higher gross domestic product, but a lower self-reported life satisfaction score to that of Costa Rica. So, we know that it is a part of overall well-being, but not the only factor. So along came a new thought in terms of how we can measure well-being in a population. And this one is called the Genuine Progress Indicator. And it attempts to measure what's deemed to be worthwhile economic activity versus those types of economic activities that aren't worthwhile and supporting the population. So it's trying to do a better job of measuring well-being of the people in a nation. And this is actually used in green economics, and it's thought to be a more true cost economics when we think about wellness. In this case, the cost of an oil spill would be negative when it's spilled, but then it would count as a positive in the factor of the genuine progress indicator when it's cleaned up. So that makes it a bit different. This genuine progress indicator is analogous to thinking about the net profit versus the overall gross profit in a nation. So just thinking about that, which is actually beneficial to the inhabitants of that country. 
So that's a different indicator that's also used, especially in green economics. But there's another one that you might have heard of already, which is called gross national happiness. Have you heard of that indicator? Well, it was first talked about in 1979 when a British journalist was in an airport and he approached the then king of Bhutan and he asked him about his country's gross national product. And the king of Bhutan responded by saying that gross national happiness is more important than gross national product. So isn't this interesting? Now, Bhutan has since become kind of a leader in the discussions around gross national happiness, and it's an interesting place. It's a tiny little country. It's landlocked in South Asia in the eastern Himalayas, and it's only about 38,000 square kilometers in size and has less than a million inhabitants. But it has its own set of problems and issues. Please don't think that we're denying those things because it has had human rights abuses in the 90s when it expelled about a fifth of the population that was an ethnic minority in the region, and gays and lesbians continue to be jailed in Bhutan. So it does have a lot of social and human rights issues. However, it has been on the world stage promoting the idea of gross national happiness. And in fact, in 2001, the United Nations General Assembly passed a resolution on happiness, understanding that happiness is part of a holistic approach to development and that it should be a fundamental human goal. So isn't that interesting that we've started to now think about this as an aspect of development and aspirational for our goals of development? So in 2012, Bhutan's prime minister and the UN's secretary general convened a meeting on this topic that they titled Well-Being and Happiness, Defining a New Economic Paradigm. So bringing the economics back into the situation of assessing wellness overall. Out of this meeting came the first World Happiness Report, which continues to be issued annually. And shortly after that meeting, they announced the United Nations Declaration of International Day of Happiness, which is every year on the 20th of March. So please celebrate that. What does gross national happiness really mean? Well, it's based on the Buddhist ideals of beneficial development, that material and spiritual development should occur side by side to both complement and reinforce one another. So it's not one or the other, but it's both at the same time complementing the material and the spiritual in terms of development. So that's a really lovely way to think of gross national happiness. When we look back at some of the reports on the happiness reports globally, we see that they are trying to measure happiness in a variety of ways. They're using both subjective and objective measurements. In terms of the report, they are reporting on things such as the purchasing power of a nation, the healthy life expectancy of the inhabitants of the country, the social supports available the people's freedom to make life choices, in addition to generosity and their perceptions of corruption, and individuals' positive and negative 
affect, the self-reported measures from the previous day in terms of looking at their laughter and happiness and enjoyment from the previous day. So I know you're dying to know, what are the nations on top of the list of the World Happiness Report every year? Well, they tend to be those Nordic countries, the Northern European countries of Finland and Denmark, Norway, the Netherlands, Switzerland are often up on top. And other countries that are often very near the top include New Zealand and Canada, Australia, Costa Rica, Israel. So these nations all tend to have reports that put them towards the top of this ranking of self-reported and some objective measures of happiness. Now, what I wanted to talk about today, though, is more than just the idea of happiness, but how do we get there? And I want to propose the idea of the middle path to happiness. Now, this is not new. This is not from me, but I am bringing forward to you some ancient wisdom. The middle path idea really has foundations in Buddhist teachings. It is proposing that the middle way is the way of moderation. It is living in between extremes, not going into overindulgence or into self-denial and austerity. Now, these ideas do not come only from Buddhist traditions. They can also be found in Christianity, in Hinduism, in Islam, and in Greek philosophy, where it has been called the golden mean or the golden middle way. But the idea is always the same, that the way to happiness and good living is avoiding excesses and avoiding deficiency. It is walking this middle path. And that's the idea that I'd like us to consider today in our efforts to think about sustainable well-being in terms of both our inner lives and our outer expressions of those ideals. So how can we find this middle path to happiness? Can we perhaps embrace life still and avoid the excesses? Well, of course, we want to be able to embrace life and all of the joys that it has to offer. But in understanding the middle path, we know that true happiness does not come from only excessive indulgence in pleasure or seeking only pleasure. We know that it also does not come from excessive self-denial or austerity. We walk that middle path by trying to practice acceptance without attachment. The Buddhist monk Ajahn Chah described it in this way. He said, try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings, like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful, rare animals will come to drink at the pool, and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. So I think that's a beautiful description of finding the middle path, of watching things around us and still having an inner stillness 
and calmness. I personally like to think of it as having an inner ocean that is our true selves, that is reflective of peace and contentment that we want to find inside of us. The ocean, it's extremely vast. And we know that if something is happening on the surface of the ocean, even if it's a raging storm with high waves and bad weather, we know that underneath that is vast, calm, deep waters that can give us that deeper contentment no matter what the circumstances of our life may bring. And so I think that the middle path is encouraging us to build that type of understanding for ourselves in terms of in our inner world that we know that there is depth and contentment to be found inside of ourselves no matter what circumstances may arise. So I think that's a lovely idea. We can look at how this idea of happiness and contentment and the middle path is practiced in a couple of ways. We'll look at the example of Bhutan again, understanding that it's not perfect and there are many problems, but they have tried to incorporate these ideals into their governance. And they have now a democratic monarchy, and they have situated their development on four basic pillars, those being, first of all, sustainable development, followed by preservation and promotion of cultural values, and number three, the conservation of the natural environment, and number four, establishment of good governance. They go on to acknowledge that there are eight key contributors to happiness in a population, and they have those listed here as number one, physical, mental, and spiritual health, number two, time balance, Number three, social and community vitality. Number four, cultural vitality. Number five, education. Number six, living standards. Number seven, good governance. And number eight, ecological vitality. So I think that's an interesting thing for us to look at how that might be expressed in terms of governance, what that could look like in pursuit of this middle path to happiness. If we wanted to try to practice this middle path to happiness in our own lives, what would that look like? Well, I would suggest that we should look at it not just in our inner life, but also in our outer life. So what would that look like in our social life? Well, it would be looking to avoid the extremes. We would want to engage still, even knowing that there are folks out there who don't have our point of view. We would want to engage in this world with an open heart and with kindness. I think that would be a reflection of walking the middle path to happiness in our social lives. If we think about it in terms of the food we eat and our diet, we would again want to avoid extremes, knowing that long-term sustainable happiness doesn't lie in the extremes. 
when we think about sustainable living, we would know that there are problems in the world. We can't go to one extreme of denying that those problems exist, and we can't go to the other extreme of always obsessing about them and focusing on them too much for our own happiness. So we need to, again, take a middle path to build measured actions over time to find that sustainable happiness that we desire in our outer lives. And then what would that look like in terms of our inner lives? How would we walk that middle path to happiness in our inner lives? Well, this would be all about finding things that work to build that ocean that we desire to have. It might include a meditation practice or really reevaluating our inner dialogue. What do we say to ourselves in our own minds? Can we also work on acceptance of the things that we cannot change? All of those things would add to our inner ocean and creating the type of calm and peaceful depth that we desire in our inner lives, whatever that looks like for you. So that's what I wanted to bring to you today, a discussion about the middle path to happiness. So what are some of the key messages that I'd like you to take away from today's podcast? Well, first of all, we talked about happiness, and I asked you to consider happiness beyond our traditional definition of joy and cheer and pleasure, but to think about the other aspects of happiness that also include contentment and peace and calm and satisfaction. And that's really where the happiness is, I think, because that is lasting happiness. Then we also talked about ways in which we can measure well-being of a nation. So we talked about the first types of measures, which were purely economic, the gross domestic product. And then we talked about the fact that right from the beginning, it was acknowledged that economic indicators aren't the only indicators because they don't truly reflect the well-being of a population. So then we try to incorporate other factors. Folks develop the genuine progress indicators, and they use that in green economics. And the small nation of Bhutan brought forward the idea of gross national happiness and have pillars built into their own governance to work towards gross national happiness as a key indicator of the well-being of their population. Then I talked about the middle path to happiness, that this is a tradition that is long, long seated in many, many cultural and religious traditions. It is all about walking the path that avoids extremes, because we know that lasting and sustainable happiness and well-being is not found in seeking out only pleasure, in looking only for joyful, cheerful moments. We know that it also does not lie in restricting ourselves too much and living with only austerity and self-denial. So we understand that the road to enlightenment and happiness is really that middle path of avoiding the extremes. I think is really important in getting us towards the idea of sustainable well-being, where our personal well-being is 
also the well-being of the planet. And that's a concept that I would love for you to look into a little bit more, and certainly we will cover more in this podcast. I've got a great resource for you on my website called the Sustainable Wellbeing Starter Kit, and I'd love for you to download that. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter. It comes out once a week, and I promise I will never send you any spam. So check that out. The Sustainable Wellbeing Starter Kit and the newsletter sign-up can all be found on my website, which is christinahunterflourishing.com. That's Christina with a K, christinahunterflourishing.com. All right, my friends, that is all for today. So until next time, live well green, my flourishing friends. Bye for now.